We're going to do an eight-week series starting today called Healing the Orphan Spirit. And then we're going to do a series that's five weeks that's called uh, Popping the, the Air Balloons. We're going to go after five myths that God's calling Bridgeway to pop. One of them is women in ministry. Um, there's some others, development, culture, what is the fivefold. But So I'm going to be here for the next 13 weeks. And so, uh, well, I guess here we go. This is week one of 13 weeks. I'm just going to be fully me, and I'll get a suntan while I preach for the next 13 weeks. I decided to come in the opposite spirit. A lot of lead pastors take the summer off. I decided to actually do the opposite and to come in the opposite spirit of that. And I, I just I feel like it's the right time to just proclaim two series back-to-back on who we are. Because it's obvious now that the Father's not just calling us to Greenville. He's given us a wide reach because of his grace and glory. Who cares why? It doesn't matter why. It's just it is what it is. In the next 13 weeks, if you leave the next next 13 weeks and you don't know who we are, where we're going, it is not this guy's fault. And so this will not be a cranial exercise. It'll be quite passionate. We might need some security down here with Terry because I'm getting stirred up this morning. You need to be careful. Um, Let's go to Luke 3, 37 and 38. I asked at least 25 people this week, who was Adam? Out of the 25 people, only one person answered lining up the scripture. These are, these are God lovers. Well, he's the first man ever created. First man ever created. A couple people said, you talking about Adam Keys? I said, no, Adam in the Bible. First, first man ever created. First man ever created. And he is. Nothing evil in that comment. Let's go here. The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam. You don't ever hear that. The son of God? Whatever you think about when you think about the father will tell you everything about your life. In the kingdom, your thoughts actually make the kingdom manifest. In other words, Jesus said it this way. You shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free. Truth has never set anyone free unless you actually believe in the truth. That's why the most dangerous thing in the world is a misconception. The men who flew the plane into the twin towers actually believed they were serving God. Their misconception led to one of the most horrific days in the history of our country. A misconception is very dangerous. Now that's a very dramatic Example. Another example of a misconception that seems harmless is, well, what's the difference? Was Adam the son of God or just the first man God ever created? There's an enormous difference. Because if you don't understand an artist, it's hard to understand his or her paintings or his or her work. The father didn't become nice at the cross. He was a father before the beginning of time. And in the father's mind, when he made Adam from dirt and he breathed into that dirt, the Ruach, the spirit of God, when Adam's eyeballs opened, Adam's eyeballs didn't just stare into a sovereign king. Adam's eyeballs stared into a tender father. Genesis 1, the words Elohim, it's a plural form of God's father, son, Holy Spirit. Can you imagine Adam when his eyes open? All he sees is love and tenderness from the Trinity. So when you know the nature of someone, you can always predict his or her behavior. The nature of the father did not become kind through Jesus. The nature of the father became kind before the beginning of time. He's always been kind. He's always been a father. He's always been amazing. 
He did not make some servant runt. He did not make some little fella to do a bunch of stuff for him. He actually made a son. And that son would soon thereafter have woman come from his rib. Adam and Eve in intimacy, also in intimacy with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Most people want to get to Genesis 3 real quick. Let's stay in Genesis 1 and 2. What in the world were they doing in the Garden of Eden? They're walking with the Father in the cool of the day. It could get no better. Most people believe that Jesus came to the earth to get you to heaven when you die. Jesus came to this earth to reconnect you back to Eden. Heaven is simply a benefit of what happens when you leave your body. But don't get too tied up on heaven because when you get up there one day, the Father is going to set the whole thing back the way it was supposed to be in the first place. Most evangelicals are more obsessed with the place than they are the Father of that place. I'm going too fast. I need to slow down. It's hot. I'm more of a fall guy. I'm more of a cool breeze guy. It didn't say that God walked with man in the humidity of South Carolina. In the... <laughs> I was at Lake Greenwood last night watching fireworks on a boat. It was so humid at 10.30 p.m. you couldn't breathe. <sighs> you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Truth doesn't set anyone free unless you know it. So let me ask you a question. Why did God create Adam? Why did Satan come into the garden and why did God send Jesus? I'm here to tell you very few evangelicals I ever meet can answer one, much less three. Well, brother, God sent Jesus to the earth to get you to heaven when you die. If you died right now, do you believe in him? Because where are you going when you die? What are we doing? Well, I mean, what do we turn the whole thing into? We're not trying to get people into heaven the Father doesn't want you in heaven right now. He wants you in this earth to extend this colony of our homeland. He's trying to get heaven into you. But we stop heaven from getting into us by just a bunch of nasty orphanhood thinking. The only difference between someone who's a spiritual orphan and the someone who's a spiritual son or daughter is not anointing. It's not impartation. It's all in our thinking. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 too, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what, why did, what's going on here with Adam? Okay, let's go back to the garden in our mind. Why did God, why did this artist, why did the father make this son? Why? He wanted to bless him. He wanted a family. Fisher Humphreys at Beeson Divinity School, who's a brilliant scholar, looked at us on our last day of class after four years of seminary. And he said, don't ever forget this. The father's always wanted a family. Amen. Amen. So what happens? Well, let's go to Isaiah 14 to see what happens. Because there was someone that used to be very, very close to God, this same Elohim. Matter of fact, most scholars believe he was right beside Elohim. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is the prophecy given towards Satan Satan says, I'm going to be just like you, God. And God says, no, you're not. And then Jesus would later say, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Satan is kicked out of heaven, out of his homeland. It takes a lot of his cohorts with him. From Satan's perspective, when the timing of the garden comes and God takes this dirt and he picks it up, it infuriated Satan. Because he saw, he saw this intimate father figure. You see, Satan understands the father most, more than most evangelicals. Satan knows more of the word than most evangelicals. 
He knew the word. He quoted it to Jesus. Satan knows how kind he is. Satan can't stand it. And Satan comes into that garden and here's what he does. Ultimately, Satan comes to break up a family. So how do you know that? Well, what's the second word of the Lord's prayer? Our. What's interesting is Jesus is doing all these mighty works. John 10, 38 is doing the works of the Father. Walking on water, healing blind people, proclaiming the message of salvation, good news, hanging out with strippers, drunks, tax collectors, the lost, healing people, the world's never seen anything like it. And they're watching him and they say, why are you always disappearing? What are you doing? You don't know my father. You don't know where I come from. You don't know where I'm going. Well, well, who are you? I've already told you how I am. Well, how are you doing this stuff? Teach us how to pray. And he says, okay, the first two words, two of the most powerful words in all the New Testament, our father. The first word is magnificent. He doesn't say my father. You see, most people in here see Jesus as unattainable. He is so perfect and so glorious, and I just worship at his feet, and I love him, and I adore him, and there's nothing wrong in that. Of course we do. But what we don't realize is how this same Jesus figure sees us right now. He didn't say, pray this way, my father, you scumbag. He said, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Jesus came to bring a kingdom here, and the kingdom is based upon one major principle, the core value of family. Let's go back. Satan is up high in his arrogance. He gets knocked down low. Adam is made through the tenderness of Elohim, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Adam looks into the eyeballs of the most loving thing he'll ever see in his life. He walks with the, with, with the Trinity. They build intimacy. Adam names the animals. He says, this is amazing. Adam can't take credit of where he came from. He didn't deserve to be here. But then he gets here from dirt. The dust of the earth. But then here comes the enemy. And Adam commits high treason. What happens? He's now cast out of the garden and a family is fractured. So ask yourself the million dollar question. Why did the father send his only begotten son? Well, he sent his only begotten son so you can go to heaven when you die. No, he didn't. He sent his only begotten son so that all who believe upon him shall have eternal life. What is eternal life? It's life to the full, Zoe in Greek. It has more to do with being reconnected to Eden than shooting up in the sky when you die. You want to know why? Some of you will have to wait 70 more years before you go up there. You can go to Eden in the next four seconds. You can spend four years flying all over the world to get the great woman of God to pray for you, or you can take one verse like Colossians 1, 21 and 22, believe it and go to Eden. Here's what I'm saying this morning. Why would you want to live outside your birthright? Here's what we do. I'm short, so they had to build a stage like this. But we like to put people up on pedestals and say, well, you're just the anointed one. The anointed one? At age 28, I'm in the fetal position. I'm on three medications. At age 29, I'm seeing blind eyes open. What happened? Well, God just anointed you. No, he didn't. He anointed me before I was born at Calvary. I started staring at Calvary, and Calvary started getting in me. And when Calvary got in me, what you do is instead of saying, oh, God, please get the enemy off my back, you wake up in the morning, and you go looking for him. Spiritual orphanhood is all about what I don't have. And she looked at me wrong and I fell apart. And my dad didn't buy shoes when I was seven. And no one ever tells me they love me. A Jewish rabbi who was God in flesh died a horrific death with you in mind. 
not to take you somewhere when you die so you can have an angel rub your feet on a gold street beside your house. Who cares what your house looks like? I could care less. All I want is the Father of heaven. If most Christians got to heaven and realized Papa wasn't there, they could care less. I don't care how big heaven is. I don't care what the temperature is. As long as Father is there, it's all I want. Because Jesus came to reveal the Father. Jesus came to take you back to Eden. But here's what we do. We present the gospel one way and we say, yes, I believe that you died. I give my life to you. And then we live 50 years as an orphan when the father is saying, why are you not going back to Eden? This is the way Paul said it. Paul had massive revelation. Paul had more revelation than the the disciples. When he's on Damascus Road and he gets blinded by the Lord and then he gets healed... He goes into the Arabian desert for three years in this downloaded revelation. Listen to this. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The last Adam. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as if the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. God takes dust, creates man. But there was one that came from heaven. Why did he step down here? He stepped down here to fix the problem that the man of dust created. What was the problem that the man of dust created? The man of dust created a fractured family. The first thing Jesus does before he begins his ministry, he doesn't just pick 12 of these servants. He picks 12 people, typically more like 120, most scholars believe. They did life together. And in the upper room, he says, I'm not calling you servants. I'm calling you friends. Because the old covenant is defined by an inapproachable God. You can't get near him. And the New Testament is defined by, you can come home now. Come on. Come home. And whatever is mine is yours, Chad. And then some spiritual orphans say, well, I just, if I just had a spiritual father, I would be okay. Okay, hang on. Here's what Paul says to that. Paul says, and do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. You got two options going on. You got a family tree that's real. Some of you come from horrific stories. It's real. I'm not saying deny it. It Stuff happens. It's real. You have a family tree, but there is a tree that trumps the family tree. I'm being, I mean, I'm not being metaphorical. I, I have the DNA of Papa in me. I have an amazing dad. He's been an amazing dad to me. He's just been awesome. We're still good friends in the kingdom. He's actually not my dad. He's my brother. We're siblings. We have one father. This is what Paul says 189 times in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He screams out, Jesus came to the earth to reconnect you back to your Papa. Inside every one of us in this room, there is a longing, a desire, a yearning. You just want the attention and the approval of Papa. You do, I promise. Jack Norris right here the other day on the golf course, every shot he hits, Sam does it too. They will look to see where I'm at to make sure I'm watching. We do the same thing. This is why when Jesus begins his ministry, he hears an audible voice from heaven. What does the audible voice say? Not in the spirit, audibly. This is my beloved baby boy in whom I'm well pleased. Has it ever occurred to you that the father sees you the exact same way? Paul calls me a co-heir to Jesus. You know what the word co means in Greek? Equal. You know why you don't hear this being preached? Because people are like, this, this is too good to be true. 
That's why they had to make up the Greek word euangelion after Jesus left. They were like, this is too good to be true. You're not defined by your addiction. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by what you're not. In the kingdom, you're only defined by how the Father sees you. And the way you walk in freedom is not striving to try to get it. It's believing you already have it. We're in Lexington, Kentucky last week. Every time I travel, we see people healed. Every time I travel, I don't know why that is. I need to preach against the, I think there's a familiar spirit type thing that when Jesus was in his own hometown, stuff didn't happen. But when I travel, people don't know me. They just read my book and they come hungry and full of expectation. Not about a person, but just about what God can do through a person. There's an African-American lady named Elizabeth on the wall with a cane. We didn't even pray for her. I was praying for an Anglican priest with um, a real bad back. And we were praying for a while. She got healed. I didn't even pray for her. And I didn't preach on healing. I preached on sonship. Healing's not a charismatic idea. Get over it. It's a family idea. He creates man and says, I want to bless you. I love you. Jesus, Father and Holy Spirit didn't become loving at Calvary. They became loving before we messed the whole thing up. What the Father set up, we messed up, and it still didn't deter him and them. And C.S. Lewis always says, them, them, them. It did not deter them for continuing to just hound us with love. They never stop. Holy Spirit never stops. Jesus never stops. Father never stops. He, they won't stop coming. They won't stop coming. Don't just view God as one. View God as three. When Adam is created, he's surrounded by the Trinity. Genesis 1.28, let us make man in our image. God is community. He absolutely loves this love idea of community. That's why Jesus said, our father. He came to proclaim to the world, he's not just my dad, he's your dad. But in the kingdom, you never get to Eden by someone else praying for you or you just staring at it. you got to believe it, get out of the boat and walk into it. So when all of life is falling apart at you and it looks really rough, you say, I know the natural says this. And I know counseling says this happened to me because of this and this and this. And I don't deny any of that. But the deeper reality, the more real reality is that I have one father. I'm as clean as Jesus. The Holy Spirit resides in me, and I have angelic protection around me all the time. Praying for someone doesn't make them bold. You believing in a reality that is more true than the natural realm makes you bold. You can get to a place where Paul says in Colossians 3, 1 through 3, set your mind on things above, set your hearts on things above. That realm can become more real than this realm. And I'm not talking about being charismatic. A lot of charismatics are just loud. The devil whispered to the warrior, a storm's coming. The warrior whispered back to the devil, I am the storm. It's not this, let me be loud and get into Eden. A five-star general is never going to raise his voice. A son of the most high in spiritual warfare shouldn't be raising your voice. You should be putting the pressure on who's defending you. Speak to the storm and say this, I'm going to call a timeout because this battle is not mine anymore. I'm going to give it to the Lord and greet means owner. Owner, I'm going to hand you this battle because I can't fight it. The Lord flies into victory when you do that because what you're doing is you're actually confessing that you can't fix anything. We don't need a savior to avoid hell. We need a savior about 50 times a day. Go to Romans chapter something. Go to Romans chapter 8. 
I can't wait to meet Paul one day. He's a little bit terrifying. I guarantee he's still calling people out up there. <laughs> Romans eight fourteen through 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you might live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If you only have one revelation the rest of your life, understand this. Jesus is your high priest and big brother. He's not the bridge to heaven. He's the bridge to the Father of heaven. You can get to a place where your spiritual father, Jehovah God, trumps everything in your life. There comes a time where you don't need to blame your great-grandparents who you never met for why you are the way you are. Social media, I had to just take a break. I had to get off. We're a generation that makes an excuse about everything. The truth is when you said yes to Jesus, he grafted you into a family. And if I'm reconnected back to Eden, I don't need 30 affirmations a day to get me through. I don't need someone to borderline worship me in order for me to feel good about myself. This is why I don't like anyone to call me pastor around here. Just call me Chad. Because this stage means, it means nothing. I don't have something that other people don't have. The only thing I did is I went from being in the fetal position to starting to believe Colossians 1, 21 and 22. I don't need 500 verses. I need a couple of verses. Believe them. I was once alienated. I was once hostile and on performing in evil deeds. But now he's reconciled me, presented me before the Father, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. The Father says, come and enjoy. Come and enjoy. Chad, I'll give you more breakthrough in one second of my favor than a lifetime of you striving for something. The goal's not breakthrough. The goal's the father of breakthrough. You get to a point where you don't even care if breakthrough comes. As long as you have him, you're fine. This is why Jesus could sleep in a raging boat. Jesus Christ could sleep in a raging boat. It wasn't just because he was anointed. Actually, in Philippians, it said he emptied himself as a servant. He didn't do all that stuff because he was divine. He literally learned how to abide and then said, you can do this too. Jesus is not just my picture of how to get somewhere when I die. He's actually my example of how I can live my life. You actually can start to enjoy storms. You can get to a place where storms energize you. Instead of grabbing buckets to get water out of boats, you just say, okay, all right. As a matter of fact, the more warrior you have in you, the Father really desires to put you in the middle of storms because he needs you there to work with him. God didn't make the boat. God said, Noah, make a boat. God didn't go to Pharaoh. God said, Moses, go to Pharaoh. He raises up warriors to step in the middle of storms and you help a bunch of people. This is why Isaiah 58 is about an oak tree growing deep. How can my oak tree grow deep if I'm not in the fertile soil of Eden? Having Jesus as my savior and my covering, but living as an orphan is completely denying the benefits of the whole thing. He wants his family back. I can't speak to the world. I'm, I'm just a pastor of a church called Bridgeway. But for Bridgeway, I want us to live in Eden and stay in Eden. It ought to be impossible for us to ever be offended by another believer. You can't get offended when you're in Eden. You can't. Orphans get offended all the time. You didn't fulfill this and you didn't do that and you didn't do this and you didn't do that. When you travel to the east, there's orphanages everywhere. When you travel to the west, a lot of churches are just spiritual orphanages. I'm just like, just begging for another crumb. You ought to wake up in the morning and say, Father, what a great day. 
This is a great day. Even if it ended today, I look forward to seeing you. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Nothing can separate me from your love. Nothing. You get to where you just say, you know what? Bring it on. Bring it on. Spiritual orphans say nothing ever happens good for me. Nothing. There's two ways to trigger a spiritual orphan. Elevate the person beside them and talk about money a lot. A spiritual orphan can't stand it for someone else to be elevated. A true child of the king says, this is awesome. Look at what the father's doing in you. Because sons and daughters live down low and it's not about you. And it's like, this is awesome what God is doing. And a true child never pulls out a sword against another believer or follower of Christ. They always pull out the sword against the enemy. There ought to be something operating in us where we move towards battle and not away from it. You got to be really careful. Higher the levels, higher the devils. No. Higher the levels, the higher the favor. Have you ever been in a prayer, praying for someone? This morning a wind was blowing on me while I was preaching. A spiritual orphan says, what are you talking about? Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, set your heart on things above, set your mind on things above. Has it ever occurred to you you're not from here? Quit looking around here. Gehazi comes into Elisha and says, oh, sovereign Lord, we're going to die. The armies are surrounding us. This is in Kings. Elisha says, sovereign God, open up this man's eyes. Well, his eyes were open. He saw the armies coming. But this time he walks outside and now it's not just these eyes. It's another set of eyes that sees chariots of fire everywhere. Let me ask you a question. When did the chariots of fire show up? When the man's eyes were open? No, they were already there. This is why Jesus says, let him who has ears, let him hear. Let him who has eyes, let him see. This is why Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened. Because once those eyes get open, you see what other people can't see. The Father can raise you to such a place in your sonship that you have to learn to navigate through waters being around people that don't see what you see. It will test humility for all of us a hundred times a week. I mean, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, how much longer do I have to put up with you? He's only with them two years, two and a half. Philip says, and this, this is at the end. Uh, Lord, just show us the Father and that'll be enough. Philip, I've been with you three years. If you see me, you've seen the Father. So here's what I'm saying in Bridgeway. Don't ever stop growing up. And whenever that little maggot voice of the enemy tempts you to leave Eden, that tempts you to leave the banquet table, don't go run into 20 people for counseling. Get your fanny back into Eden. This is what Paul says when he says, quit drinking milk. Why are you still drinking milk? Grow up and get back into Eden and stand there. And when the onslaught of hell comes at you because of your sonship, instead of saying, why me? Say, this is fun. Because a true child should always be triggering the religious spirit and the orphan spirit, always. You should carry something that the enemy just can't stand. And if I'm living a, if I'm living a life where the enemy's not messing with me much, it might be because I have a lot of him on me because he is the biggest orphan of all time. He was kicked out on purpose because of his own pride. But the humble children of the father, they go to him and they say, we don't deserve any of this. But my problems right now, they're not just huge problems. I got a real big papa and they're small problems. And I just come to you like a kid. Paul just stayed in Eden like a kid. He was getting stoned and whipped and shipwrecked. And he said, I've learned to be content in all things. You want to know why? You're content when you make your home in the father's heart. Nothing can touch you. Cancer can't touch you. Divorce can't touch you. I'm not talking about denial. I'm talking about a reality where you put your teeth into the real flesh and blood of Jesus. 
Jesus is the answer for everything. That's why it says, drink my blood, eat my flesh. Life becomes fun when you are a child of the Father. Bridgeway is not an invitation for you to be charismatic. It's an invitation for you to come home and stay home. And when you get home, stuff manifests. When you get home, it just happens. Father, I so genuinely thank you for everyone in this room who so deserves to be loved by you. We are all such precious children in your eyes. We receive that. We receive all of it. You are a good, good father. You're a good, good father. I'm going to ask our prayer service to come down. If you're living 10 million miles out of Eden or one mile and you just don't want to stay there anymore, I'm going to ask you to come get prayer.